from the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. This is In Conversation With. Supported by Westcott's Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Presented by Stuart Alford and produced by Fresh Air Studios Plymouth. Hello there, I'm Stuart Elford, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. With an unusual episode of our In Conversation with podcast, down here at the Barbican Landing Stage, looking at Pelican of London. Pelican is a tool ship, a training ship, and we've been invited on board to meet several of the crew. So let's find out a bit more about Pelican and Seize Your Future, which is the charity that operates it. Come with me and let's see what we can find out. Here we go. So, walking on board... First thing we're going to do is meet Adrian, who is the CEO of Seize Your Future. Adrian, thank you, thank you. Lovely ship. We're going to ask you all about it in a minute, but you've got a few people for me to talk to. So, yeah. Who have we got for me to meet? Well, part of the team are sat here, as you can see. We have Hannah, one of our scientists. And we have Mara, who's been with us as a watch leader. Janice, who's our bosun. And Ali, who's one of our chief mates. Hi, so should we take a seat and do you mind if we shuffle up and have a little chat with you guys first and then understand we're meeting other people on board. First off, Adrian, tell us about Seize Your Future as a charity. What are you? What do you do? Tell us all about that. Seize Your Future is a youth development charity. So we work with youngsters. We give them the opportunity of coming with one of our vessels, this one being Pelican of London, and getting an experience at sea either in cell training. So that's working at self-confidence, self-esteem, leadership, and team working or working with our science team and doing some ocean science and also helping in maritime careers so we're encouraging youngsters to appreciate the sea the environment around them and hopefully to go into a career employability within the maritime or science sector brilliant and so what sort of young people do you have on board most of the time we take 14 to 18 year olds from a wide range of backgrounds so from around the country and not just in the uk but they are coming from completely various backgrounds with all sorts of experience many of them have got a background where they don't have many opportunities this could be the first time that they've seen the sea it could be the first time they've been away from home and so it's a real opportunity for them to develop their own personal skills and confidence, just being with other people, being in a different environment. And hopefully when they get to the end of the voyage or they leave the ship, it will have inspired them to want to go on and do something. And very rarely do we have anybody that doesn't reach that stage where they say, I know I've got to work hard, I've got to meet with people, I've got to get up in the morning, I've got to work as a team, and I now know I want to go and do something else in the future. Well, that answered my next question really about outcomes because the first time the chamber was involved with you guys I think it was 2019 and you had Pelican come to Plymouth we had a number of young people go out on the vessels some of whom from very disadvantaged backgrounds and at the end of it 75% of them said they wanted a career either on the water or in environmental sciences and they didn't even know that was a career they could have so very exciting so why are you back in Plymouth and what do you love about being here? Well, Plymouth is very special and the programme that we run, which was, as we now know, pre-pandemic in 2019, was a pilot programme to prove that running a science voyage of that sort actually did work and the outcomes were better than we'd expected. We ran voyages during COVID times around the UK, which was science-based and again, they proved the benefit to youngsters of that experience. And then we've been running them in the subsequent two years with youngsters from Plymouth last year 
year and then this one this year but actually starting and finishing in Plymouth so that youngsters from Devon and Plymouth have had the opportunity of exploring the coastline near to where they live and experiencing some exciting experiences around that. The great thing about Plymouth is it's a natural environment for both marine science and maritime with the sound. There is so much going on within Plymouth and the area that's maritime related and there is a huge demand for youngsters to grow into the STEM engineering maritime sector but they don't know it they don't know what the opportunities are and there aren't enough organizations like us able to give them that first idea of what they might be able to do in the future when they either leave school or go to further education or go into employment and the support from the Plymouth area has been fantastic and around Devon and therefore we chose a year ago to plan this 10-day voyage in specifically for that reason and there'll be another one next year and we're hoping to grow that with more voyages that are actually based around Plymouth and Devon for youngsters from the local area. Well, it's great. And you know what I'm going to ask you now is, would you like Britain's Ocean City with our National Marine Park here to be a permanent base for Pelican? Do you think we can get you here? And if so, how do we make that happen? It would be a fantastic thing to happen. We spend 48 weeks of the year at sea. So at the moment, we don't have a natural home, but that's something which we're looking for because we recognise the value of having a land base as well, where youngsters, when they're not on the ship, can do related activities that we can engage with the schools and colleges more in the area and have maritime opportunities for employment as well. So yes, to make it happen really is a case of the businesses, the education settings and obviously also local authorities around the area all pulling together so that there is enough funding I suppose at the end of the day to support the number of youngsters that want to come and do this. So even if we said you know four months of the year to be based out of Plymouth, if there's enough funding from those businesses that recognise the value of youngsters coming on board that could then be their future employees or interns or apprentices or cadets or whatever, then that is the goal and over a three-year period to try to achieve that. Yeah, so what can businesses do or just business people do to support your charity and the young people on board? The main opportunities for them would be to sponsor a youngster on a voyage. So we've just had 20 youngsters on this last voyage, all of whom were sponsored either by an organisation or an individual. So for an organisation to say either they would sponsor a voyage for a number of youngsters or a group of youngsters from a particular education setting or from a particular background or a local area or individuals, they could also sponsor a science activity on board. They could sponsor by providing some of the equipment which we currently have or they could actually say the value of having Pelican in and the youngsters having their experience would be worthy of them providing sponsorship for example so they may choose to sponsor a voyage and actually have that association maybe have some of the people from their organization take part in the voyage and get some of the benefit of the learning as well. So I'm going to meet Ben, the captain, in a bit, and so I'll ask him about Pelican. But you've got another ship, a newer with an unpronounceable name. We have got another ship. We call her Nansen because officially she's Fridge of Nansen, which is after the Norwegian explorer, the Nobel Prize winner. She's currently in Bristol and is due to have a full rebuild as a purpose-built sail training vessel 
with also quite a lot of science equipment and provision on board because she is now being stripped out we've got the opportunity of doing that from day one and we're very keen to engage with businesses to sponsor the rebuild of that with her so they can then partake in the benefit over the next 20 years of having 20,000 youngsters going through that experience and hopefully going into science, STEM, maritime, marine industry. It sounds frightfully expensive, refitting a boat and running two boats. Well, Stuart, as a boat owner yourself, you know that these things aren't cheap. Yes, I mean, more or less running a ship like Pelican is about a million pound a year. So, you know, we're raising a million pound for the rebuild of Nansen, and then she will cost again about a million pound a year to run. But from that, we're benefiting, you know, at the moment, over 800 youngsters each year. With the combined two ships, it'll be 2,000 youngsters. So you can do the math, 2,000 youngsters every year for the next 20, 30, 40 years could make a significant impact on the UK, on Devon, on Plymouth, on the local area. And that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. It's about impact and it's about the money it'll save further down the line. It's about employment. It's about, you know, the economy. It's brilliant. We've got to get you here more permanently. Just finally... Is the ship open to visitors and how do people find out more about Seize Your Future? As usual, the best way to find out about Seize Your Future would be go to our website, which is seizeyourfuture.org or through social media. But we do have some public open days here in Plymouth when we will welcome everybody that comes down and they have a chance to see the ship and engage with the crew and see what we do. And throughout the year, we have a number of opportunities where the ship is alongside and could be open to the public but we encourage them to engage with us through the website, through the chat, find out what we're doing, and we can share with them our programme and how they get their youngsters involved. Thanks, Adrian. That's really, really fantastic. And thanks for inviting us on board. I just love being on the sea anyway. So you mentioned scientific experiments on board. And Hannah, you have an unusual... Well, it says here you're a scientist and a graphic designer. I'll come back to the graphic design a bit, but you're a scientist on a tool ship. Is that unusual and how did it come about in this world in the toolship world it's not too unusual to have people coming on board and teaching a bit of science it's such a good opportunity for it i mean you're already on the ocean generally i think i'm the only person from my cohort of community of scientists i knew who's gone and started working on toolships so definitely wasn't a world that i was aware about until charlie who leads all the science on here got in contact with me and was looking for someone to come on board which was in my third year when i was studying marine biology here in Plymouth and she was looking for someone to come and lead the citizen science surveys that they were doing on board at the time and I came on for a leg of their voyage around the UK a couple of years back and it started there and I've been working on traditional sailing ships teaching marine science and working as second hands and things like that since. It must be a dream job for a marine biologist. So what are you researching? What sort of experiments are you doing while you're on board? Here on Pelican, we were doing different things, whether we were on land or at sea. So when we were at sea, we were doing seabed surveys and cetacean surveys. So that's marine mammals. So you've got the seals and then the cetaceans are whales and dolphins. And we saw quite a fair amount up in Scotland and down the east coast of the UK. And then when we were alongside, we'd go onto the shore and we'd do rocky shore surveys. So we were looking at invasive species. We were looking at the seaweed community and how that might be changing, being impacted by various anthropogenic things like climate change and pollution, things like that. Ocean acidification is a big impact as well. You've got a lot of seaweeds that are using calcium carbonate in them. So we were looking at monitoring them and seeing how they're being impacted. Yeah, quite a lot of different stuff going on. 
So calcium carbonate, where does that come from? It's what different marine organisms use to grow their structures. Oh, I see. So it's not a pollutant. You're not monitoring Yeah. So it's something that's very useful in the marine environment already. And usually it's cycling through and the oceans, the pH scale is slowly changing because of the CO2 it's absorbing. And that's causing all different organisms that use calcium carbonate to grow their structures. It's meaning that they aren't able to grow their structures as well or as strongly. Um, yeah, they're suffering a fair amount from it. I understand. So how do you work with the young people on board? What do they get out of it? What do you get them actually doing? Generally, they can be with citizen science surveys. The whole design is that they can be involved. They don't need to be a fully fledged scientist to know how to get involved. So it's a really good way of getting people who don't necessarily know about the science world engaged. And what's great being on board Pelican is that usually you have a real sweet spot where you have people who don't necessarily know so much about the marine environment, but are very much interested and invested in learning more because they're on board and they want to know and understand what's going on around them. I mentioned it earlier. I understand you taught yourself animation and this is coming useful in this role. So how did that come about? <laughs> Pretty much when I was on my course. So my background before I got into marine science was more creative and trying to play to my strengths. I taught myself how to do graphic design at university so that I could make scientific posters and try and get a few extra points with my coursework. And then I did an internship doing science communication and someone suggested to me that I could make an explanatory animation about something. So I made one about ocean acidification, actually, and then some scientists saw it and wanted one as well. And it kind of snowballed from there. And YouTube has been my friend. <laughs> YouTube tutorials was the way to go there. Yeah, well, a picture paints a thousand words and I'd struggle to learn from reading, but I learn from seeing and doing. And is that why it's important? I mean, you know, combining science and sail training, is it because they're doing it and they don't even realise they're learning science? Yeah, I think so. I think it's just such a good way of actually being in a practical space and being on the toolship, it really tailors to learning in a much more practical and hands-on way and a more visual way. And I think animation is the same, where instead of having to traipse through a scientific paper to get some knowledge, it makes it so much more accessible because you're learning visually and then you can access so many different types of people and the different ways that they learn. And that's the same with what they're doing here on Pelican. And it's so important at the moment, isn't it? I mean, the, looking after the environment, net zero, has is, is never been more important. And I think there's almost nobody in the world now who doesn't think it's an important thing and that we need to get to grips with this. Yeah, exactly. I think there was a real movement a while ago where it started coming into the news so much more. I remember being at university and really finding it insane how much information I was learning about the state of the planet and how much that wasn't being translated into the rest of the community and that you shouldn't need to do a degree to learn that stuff. It should be something that is common knowledge and now you are seeing it in the news a lot more and it is starting to come much more common knowledge which is really really good absolutely and finally before i move on i've got to ask you so i understand you hike climb and free dive so the question is are you the next james bond <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I think a lot of people around Plymouth do that. It's quite normal here. I mean, you can't not engage with nature here. You've got Dartmoor, you've got the coastal path, you've got amazing kelp forests and seagrass beds, and it feels insane not to get in and under it and really enjoy it, really. The passion shows through. So thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate that. Mara, it says here that you're a trainee. What are you a trainee at? I was a trainee, so now I'm a watch leader, but when I was 15, I sailed on Pelican for the first time. Actually, I did six months at a time where we basically did like a semester abroad, which is during the winter month. So from October to April every year, a German company that partners with CC Future takes 30 
something students for like a half year across the Atlantic and into Caribbean and Costa Rica and give you like a whole learning experience that you could never have like from inside a classroom. I was a sail trainee and that's basically what we call the kids that come on board. And so you're now a watch leader. So what does that involve? And I'm sorry, I've got to ask you as well. You don't sound like you're from Plymouth. So there's a bit of an accent there. But from mentioning the German companies, are you, are you German yourself? I am German, yes. So I'm not British. And a lot of the crew actually aren't necessarily British. But yeah, I'm from Germany. And I sailed with Ocean College. And as a watch leader, I came back as a watch leader. And my main job is being the connection between the permanent crew and the kids, the trainees that come on board. And I basically help running the watches. So when it comes to steering and keeping a lookout on watch and just in general running the ship, we obviously, the kids that come on board, they don't know how to do it and they need somebody to show them and help them. And that's where then the watch leaders come in because we are basically assigned to a specific group. So we divide the kids into different watches and then each watch leader is in charge of one of those groups and then make sure that they are at the right time at lunch and that they are up on watch when they're supposed and that they go to bed at the right times and just like in general making sure that they are where they're supposed to be at the right time but also that they are fine and that they are safe that's most important probably yeah safety being the absolute important thing it's a very responsible job your first voyage 2019 to 2020 i understand it had quite an impact on you where was it and why did you fall in love with it I'm from the south, very southeast from Germany, so I have absolutely no coast around me. I have no opportunity to sail. So when I first heard that you can actually do half a year of school on board a sailing ship and sail across the Atlantic and sail into the Caribbean and visit Cuba and really different countries, countries you would never go to or just for like a holiday maybe, I knew I had to be on the ship. I had to do this. And now I'm back again as a watch leader because once you've started sailing on Pelican, you get drawn into it and you just want to keep going. You just don't really want to stop. And it's always an amazing experience. Yeah, I don't want to get off. I think I might stow away and go across the Atlantic with you. How has sail training helped you? Similar to the voyages we do in the summer. So even if it's only a week or 10 days, it's a lot of personal growth that happens. And I would definitely say that it has done a lot for me. So when I was 15 or when I came on board for the first time, I wouldn't say I was shy or insecure, but I kind of was still trying to find like a place and yeah, just in general, maybe society, maybe just like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then coming on Pelican, it gives you the opportunity to actually like be part of something like bigger, but also like get a lot of responsibility because you know that without the trainees, without the kids, the ship wouldn't really run. So you know that everybody depends on you and getting the opportunity to actually take over responsibility helps you develop skills you probably wouldn't get when you're at home. So if there was a young person considering this or wanting to find out more and they were a bit nervous about either the sea or being away from home or with strangers, what would you say to those young people? Sometimes you just have to take a leap and jump into the cold water. Is that part of it? You're throwing these youngsters overboard? Of course not. But it is scary and it's scary for a lot of people. So I remember, especially last trip, we had somebody who was really anxious about just being on a boat, didn't want to socialize as much. But at the end, he has people that he actually calls like brother 
because he's gotten so close to them. And I think what you should remember is that there are a lot of people that feel the same way on the ship. You know, if you come on here, everybody is a bit nervous about what's going on. So you feel, you get a lot of comfort in knowing that there are a lot of people that feel similar to you. And then obviously the crew and the volunteers and everybody, we're all trained or we are aware that that is like an issue for some people, but we do give our best to like help through it. And once you actually got into like setting sails and being watched and there's so much stuff to do, you just forget about homesickness because you're just engaged in so many things on here. You don't start really missing home at all. And then you blink and the voyage is done and you're like, oh, it's time to go home. It must really help that you've been through it yourself so you understand what they're feeling. What do your family think of you doing this? Oh, <laughs> I think my family really likes it. Letting your kids go on a boat if you're not a sailing family or just in general, like you don't really know what's happening there. So it's always uncertain for the parents, like what am I getting my kid into there and it's going to be all right and everything. Especially my parents, they love and support the idea of me coming back on Pelican, for example, like making sure that I can volunteer in the summer or picking me up when the voyage is over. That's a lot of support that I get and it's nice to have, definitely. And um, what are your ambitions? Where do you want to end up? Well, I'm going to start university, so I'll get home, pack my stuff and then I'm off to university and I'm going to start studying biology. So I might end up on Pelican again as a scientist in a couple of years, but I'll definitely come back as a watch leader. I want to be a marine biologist, but we'll see about it. Yeah. Great. And finally, what do you think about Plymouth and the welcome you've had here? Plymouth is awesome. I like it, especially we had a visit, we went to the aquarium, which was really cool. And we also had a marine scientist from the marine park here. He showed us around and I'm actually considering about transferring to Plymouth for university because I think it's really interesting. So it definitely made a good impression on me. Well, great. And you'd be welcome here. Look, thanks very much, Hannah Mara, Adrian, for now. Thank you. We're going to have a wander around the ship and meet a few other people. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. We found out a lot from Adrian and Hannah and Mara about what they do and about the charity and the ship. We're now going to go and meet the first mate of the ship, Tamsin, who is up at the sharp end. I know all the technical terms. I think it's called the bow, but let's go up and find out. So follow me. Watch your step as you come through here and cables dangling everywhere. Health and safety, very important on a ship. I hope up here, oh, going up a ladder, for those on the audio podcast, I don't struggle walking, honestly. It's just actually... Being on a ladder, we've come up to the bow of the Pelican. This is the bow? Yes. yes. Good. Here is Tamsin, your first mate. What does that mean? As first mate, I'm essentially second in command of the ship and responsible for the day-to-day -day running of the entire thing. So the captain tells me what he wants done. Then he stands at the back and drinks tea. And I run around like her blue-ass fly and make everything happen, tell people what to do, plan routines and organise things. I need a first mate. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. How did you get into sail training and how did you become a first mate? Well, I'm a product of sail training. I was a trainee when I was 16 on a different ship and came back from that and said, when I grow up, I want to be a bosun. My mum said, fine, but you're damn well going to go and get your A-levels first. And I didn't realise that seafaring was a potential career for such a young lady as myself. We hear that a lot, that people don't even know you can have a career on the water, but especially unusual for a woman. The percentage of women working at sea is still depressingly low. A few years ago, the statistic I heard was that 1% to 2% of seafarers across the industry are female. And of that, 90% of them are working in the cruise ship industry. 
wow, well, that's not good enough. We need to redress that balance. How do you become a first mate? And is it hard to get qualified? Because I understand it's quite, some of it's quite academic, isn't it? I mean, you have to learn a lot. Yeah, I mean, it can be. I took nine years to get back to it. And then I was a trainee on Pelican on this ship back in 2008. And I ended up spending seven months on board as a watch leader and deckhand after being a trainee. And on the basis of that, I realised that this was absolutely where I wanted to be and that my whole career, the only place I would be happy was dependent on being at sea. So I did my research and I applied for cadetships. And I was given a cadetship by Trinity House and started that in January 2009, qualified in December 2011. And so a cadetship is a three-year sandwich course and you spend time on ships and you spend time at college learning about stuff and then going to put it into practical application on board with different vessels. And at the end of that, you come out, hopefully, with the officer of the watch ticket. The exam at the end of that is the terrifying officer of the watch oral exam one-on-one with a master mariner and I swore I'd never do that again but a few years later I decided to go back and do my chief mate's ticket and put myself through the same rig roll. A friend of mine has just done it and his father's a famous sailor and even he said it was absolutely horrendous exam to go through and that one-on-one where they really really grill you. Oh yeah, they do. And they can ask you about absolutely anything that you've learned for your officer of the watch, anything you've learned in the last three years, and for your chief mates and then your master's tickets, you need to have retained all of that knowledge still through the years and while progressing your knowledge and improving as well. Well, I can understand why you want to be on the sea. I mean, it's not good for an audio podcast, but I can tell you we're standing on the bow of the Pelican, enormous sail training ship. We'll find out more from Ben in a minute about the boat. But the sun has come out. We're here on the landing stage at Plymouth Barbican, and it's just, why wouldn't you want to be at sea? Well, absolutely. There's not a day goes by when I think, well, I always got told I wouldn't get a job looking out of the window. But actually, that's exactly what my job entails. Well, yeah, but it's a bit more than that, isn't it? Because I understand you used to work in fisheries protection in the South Atlantic. Now, that must be a tough job. Yeah, that was a really, really cool job. I spent three and a half years down there working for a company called Byron Marine and the island of South Georgia. This phenomenal place. It's just a mountain range sticking up out of the sea, covered in snow. And the fisheries down there are very, very rich in their sea life. And they give out about six licenses each year to various shipboats. And the rest of the job is patrolling around the island to make sure that nobody else is stealing the fish. But then in the summer, I also did lots of things for South Georgia government projects, such as the Rat Eradication Project, which was awesome. The Reindeer Eradication Project was a bit sadder, but they weren't endemic and they were destroying lots of endemic flora and fauna down there. And then projects like the surveys that we did, I didn't, but I supported it, surveying some of the old whaling stations that had been completely abandoned about half a century ago and fallen into disrepair. And they did a full 3D scan survey of that one summer to retain some of the history of the island which was awesome you must have seen a lot with all your travels what's the best voyage you've been on or the highlight of any voyage are there just so many (laughs) that is too difficult to answer there are so many moments every single time i come out particularly on pelican as mate i'm very fortunate that i get the four to eight watch which means i get the sunrises and the sunsets and there are so many moments where you get dolphins playing around the ship and a beautiful sunrise and then you get bacon for breakfast and you just think i've got the best job in the world Well, that's funny because I always tell people I've got the best job in the world, but I am considering offering a swap with you. Is that a deal? No, I don't want to swap my job. Thank you very much. (laughs) No, well, it's great that you love it and I can't blame you. I mean, it's a wonderful ship to be on. And you've said it for me, seeing sea life like dolphins, it just makes life worthwhile, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. This trip, we had a night. I was on the 12 to 4 watch. I've been standing in a second this week. And we had on the 12 to 4 watch bioluminescence in the water and dolphins in the middle of the night came and played around the ship. And you can see the entire outline of the dolphin and just trail coming off them like a turbo. 
that is just wonderful. I'm so jealous. Well, look, Tamsin, thank you so much for giving up your time. And we're now going to go and speak to the guy who orders you about and find out more about the ship. Thank you, Tamsin. No problem. Lovely to meet you. We're going from the sharp end to the blunt end, the stern, where the wheelhouse is, and we're going to talk to Ben. We're working back through the deck here, past the chamber wellbeing officer, who's very kindly being looked after by Harry. Thank you, Harry. We might come and have a word with you in a minute. Goodbye, Charlie. Yes, that's fine. Daddy's going this way. We'll go up these stairs, and hopefully we will find Ben, who is the captain of Pelican, at the back of the boat. Follow me. We'll come around the shop, and there's just a light shower, so we might just stand a little bit under this. Oh, we're getting into the wheelhouse. You can hear the radio announcements on the dockyard and warship boats. Here we are. This is called the wheelhouse. We're in the wheelhouse, and this is Ben. Ben is the captain of the Pelican. Ben, tell us about the boat. How big is she? How long? How heavy? Tell me all about Pelican. She's a vessel that was built at the end of the Second World War in France. She was built between 1946 and 1948. And her initial purpose was she was an Arctic trawler. So she was a fishing trawler built to go and catch cod up in the Arctic waters to feed the French nation in the aftermath of the war. And she fished for about 20 years as a commercial trawler. You know, no sails. She had an internal combustion engine. And then after about 20 years, she was converted into a general cargo coaster. So she's in the general cargo trade for a long time, just carrying cargo goes around Europe and then in the early 2000s she was bought by a group of British people who wanted to develop and construct a new sail training ship a new tall ship for the UK and they spent a lot of effort and a lot of time converting it into the current configuration as a sail training vessel and they did that in the UK and then her first voyage under this arrangement was in September 2007 and since then she's been used as a sail training ship delivering voyages for young people as we do today. In terms of her size and her dimensions the length from the tip of the jaboom to the taffrail is 45 meters. Sorry you said jaboom? Yes, the jiboom. So that's the wooden pointy bit out the front. So you've got a bowsprit, which is the steel pointy bit, and you have a wooden bit that goes out beyond that. That's called the jiboom, the boom that holds out the jibs. Yeah, the jiboom. And so from the tip of the jiboom to the taffrail, which is the rail right at the stern, she's 45 metres. The hull itself is about 33 metres. And she draws four metres, which means her keel is four metres under the waterline. She's seven metres wide, seven metre beam. And her height from the waterline to the top of the main masthead, the main mast truck, is 29.5 metres. Wow. And what does she weigh? Her displacement is about 400 tonnes. But in terms of ships, you don't normally talk about how much they weigh. You talk about their tonnage, which is a volumetric measurement. And she's 226 gross tonnes. Wow. I'm learning so much. Thank you for that. So how did you end up as a tall ship skipper? I mean, there can't be that many in the world. Oh, there's a few of us. Yes, it is an unusual career for the 21st century, perhaps. I'm, in effect, a product of the sail training system. So when I was a young teenager, I went on a number of sail training voyages as a trainee, just like the young people we've had sailing with us this week. And I had a fantastic experience on those vessels. And when I was 17, nearly 18, I was on a tall ship sailing from Spain to Ireland as part of the tall ships races. And during that voyage, I met these guys in white shirts who were the officers who were the professional crew. And I remember speaking to one of them just before my 18th birthday. And I said, you know, when you call yourselves the professional crew, what does that mean? How does that work? And they said, oh, this is our job. This is our career. And it was at that moment I went, right, that's what I am going to do. That's going to be my life. My career is going to be sailing tall ships. And it's not sort of thing your school careers advisor normally (laughs) makes you aware of when you're a teenager. But that was me hooked. And I went back initially as a volunteer and gained some experience volunteering 
volunteering on lots of different tall ships and sailing vessels. And I finished my full-time education. And then I graduated at two o'clock in the afternoon that day. And by seven o'clock that evening, I was on board a ship and I haven't looked back. So that was 24 odd years ago. And yeah, I've been sailing traditional vessels like this, a bit smaller, a bit bigger, some of them ever since. And although I started off in a very lowly rank, sort of cleaning things and learning the trade, I slowly progressed up different qualifications, different experience levels, until I was lucky enough to gain the role on this vessel as master four years ago. Well, it's a fantastic job. I am jealous. And the places you go and the things you must see. But it's also a very responsible job. You've got a lot of young people on here, a lot of young people who've not been at sea before. The sea is an unforgiving place. Does it scare you sometimes? Do you have sleepless nights? I wouldn't say it scares me. What I would say is that we're all very aware of the potential hostility of the sea and working at sea. And obviously, we're very aware of the potential risks to anybody that goes to sea. And it's really important that because, as you mentioned, we have inexperienced crew members, crew members who've never set foot on a vessel before, that we look after them, we give them the support, give them the training they need, and we keep them safe. The most important thing is that they're safe. The next most important thing is they have an awesome experience on board. So yes, it is something I take very seriously. And when we're facing a challenging situation, I'm very conscious of the weight of that responsibility on my shoulders, especially when we have youngsters on board. But it's also an absolute privilege to work with the young people. And the reason I do the job and the reason many of my colleagues work in this industry is because we love watching that change, that development in the young people. From the time they come on board on day one, they walk up the gangway, they're nervous, maybe they're a bit homesick, don't know what's going on, sort of a bit rabbit in the headlights kind of look. And then we watch them develop and change over the time they're on board the ship. And then on the day they leave, in many cases, they've had a transformative experience and they're really going home more mature, more worldly wise and more self-confident. And the pleasure I gain from watching that transformation and seeing that positive change in the young people, that's why I'm here and that's why I do the job. And I think most of my colleagues would probably give you some kind of similar answer to why they're here. They have. And it is a fantastic job. And you've answered my next questions about what you love about it. But does it take you away from friends and family though? Yes, it does. Anyone who works at sea, obviously a city like Plymouth is more than a little bit familiar with this. It is tough. It is tough on the families who are at home and the friends and loved ones. And I have a young family at home in Devon myself, and it is difficult being away from the youngsters and my wife for periods of time. I'm quite lucky that we have a nice arrangement here. I work approximately six weeks on, six weeks off. So whilst it's tough being away from home for six weeks, when I go home on leave, I've got six weeks of being a dad and interact with my children and 100% focused on that. And when I'm away, I'm 100% focused on the job. And in fact, if you talk to other people who have, you know, normal jobs on land, the amount of proper time they get to spend with their youngsters and with their families is even less. So if you average it out every year, I think I do pretty well. But yes, it's not without its challenges. Yeah, but you get that compensation. Like you say, I interviewed Pete Goss and he said for all his adventures, the deal he has with his family was he has a time bank. The time he takes out of the bank, he puts back into the bank. And it sounds like you've got a good balance there. What's the best voyage you've been on? Is there something memorable or a, a moment you just remember as your time at sea? Oh, there's too many. I mean, it'd be very hard to single one moment out. What I would say is I remember the individuals. I remember the young people and their adventures and some of their stories and some of the transformative things that have happened to them. 
obviously it's an absolute privilege to sail a ship like this to amazing destinations you know the caribbean central america the west coast of scotland wherever you know we've taken this ship to many many places and that's something you never forget but for us it's more about the journey than the destination so whilst i remember some of the ports we go to the adventure of getting there is more important and the weather and the sailing and the young people is what makes this job special so i can't off the top of my head think of one specific moment that defines my career but I would hope that the young people who remember their voyages on board, that's a good enough testimonial for me. Yeah, it's a series of moments by the sound of it. And why have you come to Plymouth? And is this a good port for you? Yes. So we're at the end of an 11-day ocean science voyage. So we've had a number of young people on board from Devon, a lot of them from the Plymouth area, who again have never been to sea before, never been on a sailing ship, don't know the first thing about it. And they've come on board as trainees with us. They joined us in Plymouth 11 days ago, and they've been given some training, given some briefings, been shown how everything works. And then we've gone on a sailing adventure with them, a voyage around the Western Channel. We've been to Cornwall, we've been to other ports in Devon, been to a few anchorages. And during that time, they've been the crew of the ship. They've pulled the ropes, peeled the potatoes, steered the ship, climbed the rigging, all those different things. And as well as doing that seamanship and that sailing aspect of the voyage, they've been involved in various different bits of scientific research to do with ocean science, pollution, environmental sciences in general, to both educate them and improve their awareness of these matters, but also the data that we collect, those data are sent back to actual real science research projects that are happening around the UK. So we're contributing in a small way to that overall knowledge of what's happening in our oceans and around our coasts. And obviously that's really important that the young generation learns that and gains a respect and understanding for the balance of our natural world versus our commercial interests and what's going on around our coasts in terms of development things like that as well yeah absolutely and it's just such vital work i mean it's never been more prevalent never more noticeable this is what's important if we're going to have a sustainable planet final question not at all loaded question what do i have to do to have a sail on pelican well we have different routes to access the vessel the best thing is to look at our website and see what's going on what the forthcoming voyages are our normal way of operating is that we charter the ship to third parties. So if you are with a school or a college or a charity that wants to take 30 young people on an adventure and give them a sail training experience, then if you pick up the phone and speak to our office team, they would love to hear from you. We also have some voyages occasionally for adults, but that's less common. Most of our work is with young people. And I think one really important thing to say is that sailing in general is often seen in all parts of the world as a slightly elitist pastime and you have to be very very rich to own a yacht and all the maintenance costs and all that sort of thing sailing a tall ship's not like that most of the people i work with could never afford a yacht could never afford to do that sort of thing off their own bat but tall ship sailing is accessible and sailing on a sail training ship by nature is about getting young people from every different background from all over the world and putting them together and giving them that challenge and giving them that experience and giving them that positivity and because of that part of our remit is to make those voyages as accessible as we can to loads of different young people so i think it's something to bear in mind that it isn't something we have to stump up thousands of pounds to get your son or daughter or nephew or niece on board and if you are from a an organisation that would be interested in perhaps putting young people on the ship, please do get in touch with our office. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. We'll go behind now and go up onto the well deck, and I think we'll catch up with the Chamber Wellbeing Officer who's out there. Thank you for now, Ben. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And here we go. Stepping up through the hatch. There we go. Well, that was just absolutely fascinating. I think I've lost Charlie, the Wellbeing Officer. 
Where's Charlie, the well-being officer? We're going to meet Harry. Harry is one of the young people who's been on the vessel, and he's done a fantastic job of looking after Charlie, the well-being officer, my dog, while we've been on board. But I really must speak to Harry, because he's just finished a trip. Is he coming down? Here he is. Ah, so come this way. Come this way. We can see... <laughs> we can see that my dog is not much of a ship's dog. He's struggling a bit with the ladder, but there we go. So incoming. Charlie! Here he is. Here he is. Oh, there he is. He's a good boy. So this is Charlie, the Chamber Wellbeing Officer, and this is Harry, who's been looking after him. Harry, you've just been on a voyage. I have, yeah. I went for 10 days. We went from Plymouth over by the Mayflower Marina, yep. and we went over to Dartmouth, and then to Falmouth, and then back to Plymouth, and we stopped here. And you're talking tonight to a group of business people and others at the National Marine Aquarium about your voyage? Yep, that's true. Bit nervous, but, but yeah, it should be fun. I've never done something like that before. And why they've chosen you? There's a reason, isn't there? Well, apparently I've had the most progress. I've had the most personal development, I suppose. For example, like towards the start of the voyage, I was quite shy. And then towards the end, I sort of made more friends and became more confident. So I think that's why I was chosen. Well, you seem confident now. And thank you for looking after Charlie. What have you particularly got out of this trip? I think I've got a better understanding of marine biology as a whole. Because before the trip, I knew I wanted to study it at university. But I didn't really know too much about the subject, if that makes sense. Now that I've been on this voyage, we've done a few experiments with Charlie and Jeremy, the two scientists. I think I've got more of a um, interest in it and I'm like more narrowed in on what I want to do post-uni, if that makes sense. How did you hear about this and how did you get involved? I was told about it by one of my dad's friends. So he emailed the link to my dad and we both sat down, looked at it and we thought it was a good opportunity for me to do so I could put it on my personal statement it was sort of a fun thing to do that related to what I wanted to do in the future. Well, it's absolutely brilliant. And if there are young people who are perhaps a bit shy, a bit scared of coming on board a vessel where they don't know anything about the sea, they don't know about boats, they haven't met other people, what would you say to those thinking about it? I would just say, go for it. You don't know how you would feel about it until you've tried it. To start on this voyage, I was scared and I wanted to go home. But now... I don't really want to leave. <laughs> so they're going to have to throw you off, are they? They're going to make you walk the plank to get off. They will, yeah. yeah. Look, thank you again for looking after Charlie, but thank you as well for speaking to us. And I'm really pleased because it's a real example to young people about, you know, the personal growth you get out of it, what you learn, how it helps you with your studies. So thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Harry. No problems. Thank you. So there we are, Pelican of London, operated by Seize Your Future. Learned so much. I mean, I'm a sailor and I have been for many years and I've learned a huge amount about what people do on a tall ship. So I thought they just came on to do sail training, but they're doing these scientific experiments. They're learning about interacting with each other, about working as a team. They're learning about safety. They're looking about cooking. This is really, really important stuff. So my ask of you all out there is that get behind this. If your business can sponsor a young person, look at the difference you're making in their lives. If you can sponsor an experiment that would be really important let's get involved let's get pelican based in plymouth i mean it's got to be here and we britain's ocean city got its own tall ship it's got to happen but for now thank you so much all for joining me and i must say thank you to fresh air studios who've been following me around you won't have seen everything that's going on but it's been quite a challenge getting a podcast sort of as live not from a studio with cables and microphones and everything but thank you to them thank you to westcott's for sponsoring this series it's really really important and i hope you've enjoyed it if you want to learn more or hear more podcasts go to Spotify or Apple iTunes and search for Devon Chamber in conversation with. But also, if there's subjects you want us to cover, let me know. In the meantime, I will leave you and just enjoy being on the water on the Tallship Pelican here in Britain.
Plymouth. In Conversation With is supported by Westcott's Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors, helping with all your business and personal taxation needs. Westcott's, we're here. Produced by Fresh Air Studios, full audio production services for business podcasts and corporate communications. Visit freshairstudios.com. Presented by Stuart Elford. Produced and engineered by Paul Philpot. Edited and mixed by Martin Burgess Moon. Production support by Lisa Hartwell. Video content by Mark Stevenson. Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved. <laughs>